Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It is Monday, February 21st, and this is People Every Day. Hey everyone, it's me, Janine Rubenstein. I hope you had a restful weekend. We've got some really interesting stories to talk about today, so let's dive in. Well, if you don't know, we've got two cover stories on stands this week at People. One is our exclusive interview with Linda Evangelista that we talked about on Wednesday. The other one is the story of Kara Robinson Chamberlain, a young woman who survived a serial killer, you guys. She was abducted when she was a high school sophomore in 2002 from the front lawn of a friend's house in South Carolina. Her kidnapper was a man named Richard Ivonitz, who had previously kidnapped and murdered three young girls in Virginia. She shares with people this week her terrifying experience. And joining me now to discuss this is one of the people who wrote the story, Mark Pizer. Hey, Mark. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Well, I mean, when I read this story, I was so shaken. Kara truly survived the unthinkable, and she even helped save the lives of future victims. So let's just dive into her story. Tell me a little bit about her and, and what she told you about the day she was kidnapped. So Kara Robinson was an ordinary 15-year-old girl growing up in South Carolina. She was at a friend's house for the day. They were getting ready to go to the beach, actually. The friend went inside the house. She was outside watering the plants. And a car drove up and pulled into the driveway. Um, it was just that simple, ordinary, kind of everyday suburban thing. She was a tomboy. Uh, she liked to drive go-karts. The guy who drove up in the car was driving a sporty car, so she was interested in that. But there was absolutely nothing extraordinary about her life to that point. Wow. And how did he get her into that sporty car? So he came out of the car and he had some some brochures that he wanted to leave with the family. He didn't seem threatening at all to her. They chatted for a minute and uh, she thought, okay, that was that. And all of a sudden he pulled out a gun, put it to her neck and said, don't scream and get in the car. At which point she followed orders. I mean, despite that horrific situation, Kara didn't let fear get to her. So let's take a listen to a little bit of what she said. Immediately from the very beginning, my body's survival mechanism was, okay, don't fight him. He's bigger. He has a gun. So just remain calm and go with him and get him to be complacent. And at some point he's going to be complacent and that's when you're going to escape. Wow. She is just so brave. And it's amazing that that was her first instinct. So when she got to Richard's apartment, she still maintained that attitude despite the circumstances. So tell me what happened next. So she was obviously, as you as you know, aware of everything that was going on. She was constantly trying to take in information. She, When she went into the kitchen, she tried to see what magnets were on the refrigerator in case there was some identifying information there. She, he was, was interviewing her, asking her all sorts of probing questions, which he wrote down in a legal pad. She calmly gave him the answers. He assaulted her. She did her best to be, to maintain her composure. Uh, 
Um, in fact, at one point he wanted her to eat something. She, needless to say, she didn't have any appetite, but she knew better than to anger him. So she said, you know, look, I don't really feel like eating anything right now, but is there anything I can do for you? And he had her sweep the floor, which was such an odd thing for her to even think to do and then agree to do. But police sources told us later that it is just the kind of thing that you would do to sort of calm down someone who was abducting you, to ingratiate yourself with them so that they don't do something crazy to harm you. She was really sort of gaining his trust, which was, for a 15-year-old girl, an amazing presence of mind kind of thing. So, Mark... How did she do it? How did she get out? So she wakes up in the morning. He did not, as the sun was rising. And she said that she always knew that it would happen. She would be able to finally get free only if he was asleep. So the sun wakes her up. She's shackled to the bed on the one leg and one arm in a, in a handcuff. She uses her teeth to unscrew the bolt that he had used to attach the handcuff to the bed. She then reaches down, undoes the leg shackle, and very, very quietly gets out of bed. Her biggest fear at this point is that he's going to wake up. He's got a gun by him. He has had a knife with him. So she sneaks to the door. There are two locks on the door. She knows that's going to make noise. There was um, there was a, a folding door like on a closet nearby that she was afraid that she would touch and would rattle. She got out of the apartment. He's still asleep and she just runs for it. She makes she runs to the parking lot where she sees a car with two people in it that she flags down. Wow. And how did that all play out? So the the people in the car take her to the police station. She walks in and she says, "Hello, my name is Kara Robinson. I was just kidnapped and I've escaped." They call her parents. Uh, and at, at one point a police officer says, "You know, look, I know this is not going to be easy, but we need to be able to get evidence. Are you willing to go back and see if we can identify where he lived? She had made a point, of course, as she did with so much, of remembering where he lived. They went back to his apartment. They got a search warrant and they went inside. The apartment was every bit as horrible as she had told them. He was long gone, of course. Uh, wow. But there was a footlocker in the apartment. And inside the footlocker was information that led to three other girls. Let's talk about those other three girls who were kidnapped, but sadly didn't have the same fate as Kara. When they opened this footlocker, they found newspaper clippings that talked about three girls who had been killed several years before in the 1990s in a completely different state. It was a fairly notorious series of killings, but nobody had ever attached them to Ivanitz. The, they were two sisters, Katie and Kristen Lisk, and another girl named Sophia Silva in Virginia, who had been abducted much like Kara had been abducted in plain sight from their houses. Um, but there would never been any evidence linking them until they opened this footlocker and there were these newspaper clippings and people immediately realized this guy probably had something to do with those killings if he has these clippings. And that started a long chain of events where the connections were made between the killings of those three girls and the man who abducted Kara. The police found Richard, tracked him down, but he shot himself. So uh, this understandably so made Kara angry because as she told you, she wanted to face Richard in court and have him know that she was his downfall. But since surviving this, Kara became involved in helping victims of child abuse and, and sexual assault. So tell me about the work she has done in the wake of all of this. 
I can't imagine wanting to relive one minute of this, but but Kara is obviously an incredibly determined person. She actually became a police officer herself. She was befriended by one of the officers who worked on her case. In high school, she did internships at the, the local sheriff's office, and she became a school resources officer and an investigator wow. of, of uh, sex crimes herself. So she's became very committed to the entire cause, and then slowly began to speak out about her own situation. When she decides she wants to be a police officer, she goes to the police academy to, to train, and she's in a class where they're, where the teacher is teaching survival techniques, how to get out of horrible situations. And the teacher is, in fact, teaching the Richard Ivanitz e. case. She doesn't know Kara. She doesn't know Kara's in the room. But her case became the textbook lesson for how to escape terrible situations. So the class is over. Kara goes up to the teacher and says, by the way, that class that you just took, that girl, that was me. Wow. At that point, Kara started to feel like maybe she had a story to share because it was clearly something that could help people. Oh, Mark, this story is unbelievable. Thank you for coming on and breaking it all down for us. Sure, you're welcome. Thank you. Coming up, everyone has a bucket list, okay? Go skydiving, learn the guitar, see the Eiffel Tower, maybe climb Mount Everest. Well, our next story is about just that last one. We talk with Manoa Ainu'u, who is part of the first all-Black team attempting to summit Everest this spring. We'll hear all about his preparation for the peak and why he wants to inspire more Black people to embrace the outdoors. Stay with us. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Now for a story that gives me chills and inspires me all at the same time. We've all heard the harrowing tales of expeditions to the top of Mount Everest, the tallest mountain on Earth located in Nepal. But this year, there is a fearless group of climbers who will make their way up the mount and make history while doing so. The Full Circle Everest Expedition is comprised of seven black men and two black women, making them the first ever all-black team to attempt to summit Everest. Of course, their expedition will be the same grueling uphill battle as any other, but it's opening up the conversation about diversity, inclusion, and accessibility to outdoor sports. We are mid-Black History Month, and they represent a group of people who never really saw themselves in all those other stories. And so joining me today is North Face athlete, climber, proud husband, and a member of the Full Circle team, Manoa Ainu'u. Hey, Manoa. Hey, hey, Janine, how's it going? I am so terrified of anything that has to do with heights. So, <laughs> well, let's start with you and how you got into travel and climbing and, and where this all started for you. My passion for travel started through my parents. You know, they, they met overseas. My mom was born in Ethiopia, my dad in L.A., and they met over in Africa and Kenya. They were both doing a missions trip there. And, you know, after my dad and my mom had finished that, they traveled around Europe, around Africa. They would always tell us stories when we were growing up about 
the importance of travel and experiencing other cultures. Mm. And as far as, you know, my story getting into the outdoors, I'd say it really kicked off once my family moved from L.A. to Spokane in 2004. My dad would take us skiing and my sister and I really fell in love with it. I started to make friends that were into skiing and, and eventually climbing. And I used to be really scared of heights. But, you know, that's one of the cool things about climbing is you kind of have to force yourself to get past that fear. You're putting yourself outside of your comfort zone. Take me into like that first hurdle that you got over. What activity were you doing where you were like, oh, my God, I just did that? The hurdle started really quickly. I'm pretty sure it was my first time rock climbing with my friends. So I was lowering myself on the rope from the top of the cliff down to the bottom. And as I was rappelling, you know, I was really inexperienced, didn't have a helmet. I flipped upside down as I was lowering and smacked my head on the rock. Uh, but, you know, I just persevered through it because it was it was a fun thing and I wanted to get better and hang out with my friends outside. So so were you the black friend who was climbing? And I asked that because you hear it so much and even within the black community of saying, like, oh, we don't do that. Climbing, we're not doing those outdoor sports. Have you confronted that at all? And 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 take me into how this group came about, the Full Circle Expedition Group. Yeah, definitely grew up being, you know, the black friend. I'm half Ethiopian, half someone. So that was always confusing for me. You know, it's like, well, all these people just totally erase the other half of my heritage. And it wasn't just the black friend that climbs. It was the black friend mm. in general. Spokane is like 90% white. Yeah. One of the good things about social media, it connected a lot of us. Fred and I met at a climbers festival. So it was cool. We met in person, but we had already been connected through Instagram. Nice. Yeah, the connections kind of just web out, you know. Phil Philip Henderson, he's the trip leader. He kind of connected all of us. We had that shared experience of just standing out and being like the only person that was black, that had dark skin, doing their thing in the outdoors. So I love putting, you know, that out there. Black people do do this. We do everything. We are not a monolith. So you recently returned from your first group trip to Nepal. I would love to hear a little bit about your experience there. And I'm wondering, is there fear? There's definitely fear. I think there is a lot more fear and maybe maybe more so sh- stress or anxiety before we went on our first trip to Nepal in January. Once we were on the ground and we all came together, most of that stuff went away, you know. It feels super comfortable in the outdoors. Nice. Even though I'm confident in climbing and all that, it, it just doesn't feel comfortable because an old white gentleman or whatever might say something or question my knowledge or experience which happens quite often. And um, I've come to realize through those experiences that having like all the the newest, nicest gear, head to toe in North Face, people don't even look at that. They just look straight at your skin color. And hopefully this trip will dispel, dispel a lot of that. Yeah. So 1963 was the first American expedition that reached the summit of Everest. And that same year, Dr. Martin Luther King delivered his historic I Have a Dream speech. And then it was 40 more years until the first black climber summited Everest. And now this will be the first all-black team. So, I mean, just to everything that you're saying, it is, it's, it's so exciting. How does your wife feel about it? How did that conversation go down? I think I worry about going on trips and doing objectively dangerous climbs more so than she does. It's just the fear of like not coming back to her and and leaving her here stranded. 
fortunately, she and a lot of our other partners are going to come out with us for the first three weeks to, to a month or so. Oh, nice. When's the day? When does this happen? Like, I need to set my alarm. <laughs> <laughs> We're leaving at the beginning of April. And um, the summit window for Everest after acclimatizing and all that is usually around the beginning of May. Oh, my birthday month. Okay, well, I will be rooting so hard for you guys. This is such an awesome story, Manoa. Thank you so much for taking us into it. Yeah, of course. Now, to close things out, I think we can all agree that no matter who you are or how old you are, learning something new is always at least a little bit scary, right? Not Mount Everest scary, but scary. And something that can make a big difference in pushing through that fear is having a good teacher, plain and simple. I've been so blessed to have so many great teachers in my life, and I just found another one on social media that I have to share with you, an incredibly encouraging math professor. One of her students was a little worried about starting school again after taking a few years off. And I swear, after listening to this professor, I feel like I can do anything. (laughs) It was the pep talk we all need. Trust me, it's something to make you smile. Take a listen. Just do what you can do. If you cannot do it, don't stress out. It's okay, because maybe today it's not a good day, tomorrow not a good day, but how do you know 10 years later you may be teaching math? Right? You don't know. Nobody knows because, you know, I never thought I would teach math. So just, you know, if you're depressed, if you have something, you can talk to me. I'm always here. Or look at the sky and smile. So sweet. Reminds me of pep talks I'd get from my high school science teacher back in San Francisco, Mr. Lee. I need to check in on him. Well, thank you all for listening. And we'll be back tomorrow with more People Every Day.